The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to see everybody tonight. So those were the first eight instructions, first eight steps, as we memorize the map, get familiar with the map, so we can experiment, we can play with it a little bit, we can use the map, not so much to control the mind, but to understand the mind, to kind of get a sense of what's happening in the mind. But it can be useful, at least this once per week when we're together and I'm giving instructions to go through it in this systematic way. But I can encourage you to, to do the same for some of the sits during the week as well, where you're just curious about each of the steps. So this would involve some thinking, right? But thinking then that maps on relates directly to the activity of the mind and the activity of the meditation. So the thinking about the map isn't idle speculation, but is informing the awareness of the body, awareness of the breath, and awareness of the mind. So if you haven't realized it yet, the 16 instructions are mostly about the mind, not the breath, not the body, right? And there's never, there's no body without mind. How could there be body without mind? Only the mind knows the body. What's the body without the mind? It's like that, you know, tree falls in the woods and no one's there. This existence is a existence you know, the reality of our lives is this experience of mind. Everything we've ever experienced, every place we've been, every interaction has been an experience of the mind. Right now, we may say, you know, I'm at Common Ground Meditation Center, it's Monday night, but this is an experience being known in the mind. Everything like time and location and all of these are experiences of the mind being known. And we don't have to speculate or argue whether there's external reality or not. Or you can. But what we can know, what we can understand very clearly, directly, is that this is an experience of the mind right now. And it's always that way. The subjective experience is always an experience of the mind. This is the reality we inhabit, or this is the reality we experience. So the 16 instructions really are a map of the whole path. So it's okay to feel somewhat intimidated by the 16 instructions, especially the later. But it's really important to understand some of the basic principles. And I'm repeating myself from earlier weeks, but right from the start with the practice, the Buddha is conjoining these steps with happiness. You know, different, you could say, different frequencies of happiness. Because there's a real integrity to the spiritual path, 
If we want peace, we practice peace. If we want release, we practice release. If we want happiness, we practice happiness. The ends and means are in alignment. So it's not like we practice something torturous in order to get something good in the end. That doesn't mean it isn't difficult at times. But it's not like we're looking for the difficulty. That's really important to, uh, like, you know, the opening instructions of just mindfulness to the fore, you know, mindfully aware, breathing in, breathing out, clearly comprehending the breath enough to know whether it's a long or a short breath, that's the you know beginning feeling experience rather of seclusion like it's so nice as an animal it's so nice for me not to have to be vigilant about everything that's going on and just to tune into this one thing i mean this is why we like doing the hobbies that we like doing is that when we're doing those things that we like doing whether it's some of you gardening knitting, reading novels, preparing a meal for somebody, whatever it might be. It's like a frightened animal doesn't do those things. Right? So when we can like put down that hypervigilance, that anxious attending to the externals, the threats, the hopes, it's a, there's the beginnings of uh, happiness of like, I don't have to do, I don't have to carry that load of being a vigilant animal wondering about the nearby threats. I can instead, you know, be aware of the body and the breath coming in. And mostly what we're putting down is the baggage of our worries, those mental constructions. So not the actual tigers that are hunting us. You know, like whatever that might be, the actual threats that are there around us. But our perception, the thoughts that we have, the exciting thoughts about possibilities and the you know, scary thoughts about danger. We're not going to proliferate. We're going to connect and sustain with this simple rhythm of breath, this simple experience of sensation. We're going to put down the load. And in that whole body, you know, that intimacy with the whole body and the calming, right, there's that healing of seclusion. Seclusion is a funny word. So it, it's, a, it's important because it's, it makes it explicit what we're doing. We're excluding the attention from the diversity of our thoughts about things. We're just not picking up that business that our thoughts keep constructing about our world, about our likes and dislikes. We're not attending to that. So we're secluded from that. But you could just as well call this first set of four instructions Um, instead of seclusion, 
you could call it intimacy, you know, intimacy with the body or healing the body and mind, you know, letting the mind and body harmonize, you could call it that, the harmonizing of the mind and body, the integration of the mind and body, the healing of the mind and body. But that healing requires that the mind put down its conceptual obsessions or conceptual proliferation to some degree. And as I've been saying these last few weeks, a lot of what we learn in meditation is how to do the first four steps. Right? How to go beyond mental proliferation. And the, the real trick, as uh, s- some of the points that Ajahn or Tanisaro Bhikkhu made in the passage that I read that will be in the email I'll send out to you tomorrow morning, you know, it's, it's really about the kind of effort. And if we take a more willful approach to getting outside of, you know, breaking free of the orbit of our obsessing, proliferating, worrying, anxious minds, it won't work because that approach is the anxious mind. You know, i gotta, got to get some freedom from my crazy mind, right? That's just another riff of the anxious proliferating mind. And this is the thing I mentioned earlier, there's a real integrity in the whole system. And the way that, the reason that is, is suffering, the the seeming experience of me suffering, that's a natural process. And the experience of me being free from suffering, that's also a natural process. So if we're going to be moving in the direction of freedom, it can't be a self-move. It's got to be a natural move. Because self, selfing, right, the movements of self, self-centered drama, always arises out of greed, anger, and delusion always arises out of agitating states and perpetuates or feeds, reinforces agitating states of mind. So the whole practice, the whole thrust of the 16 steps have to have this vibe of of a natural process, of an easy, easeful process, have to have the flavor of peace. So like right from the beginning, a movement towards seclusion, there's some peace and just the simplicity of, honey, I, d- I don't have to worry about that now. I don't have to think about that now. I have this other thing I can do instead. I can, And I don't even have to go to the experience of the breath. Even that's a wrong notion. Like, oh, I've got to take my attention, which is here, and I've got to put it over there on the breath. All of that is extra. Right? It's right here. Breathing in, whole body, calm. It's all right here. It's really about not leaving here or here and now. There's an g- interesting passage where Mara, you know, the force of ignorance and anxiety, was taunting some of the 
monks, the practitioners at the time of the Buddha. And uh, so that sort of confused neurotic state of mind was talking to these practitioners, you know, why, why are you seeking something that's way out there, this Nibbana thing, this peace thing, you know, when you've got real sense pleasures available to you right here and now. This is a, a rough paraphrase. And the practitioners, the monks at, in this case, responded something like, we're opening to what's here and now. And we're not chasing off after, like the idea of being happy through some sense pleasure. That's what takes us out of the present moment. It may appear like it's right here and now, but it really takes us away. It takes us into abstraction and away from the ordinariness of whole body, of this, things in and of themselves, what we call in the tradition Dhamma or Dharma, the way it is. Our thoughts take us seemingly, you know, millions of miles away from what's here and now. So have that attitude in the beginning that we're coming home, this healing of the mind and body, the integration, the sort of grounding in the present moment, It's where we actually belong. It's where we actually feel at home. It's actually where we feel some safety. And it's our thoughts. They're like the Mara, you know, the Buddhist equivalent of the devil trying to pull us out. I'm not doing it right. Am I doing it right? You know, well, that's just doubt. We come back. Or I can do this later. Or I've got to fix my pain in my knee. There's like infinite number of things that habit energies will dangle in front of the mind. Little sort of opportunities to, for the mind to take the bait and to run, to get lost for a while. But we can always come back. And the coming back has a very particular flavor. So I really love this point that Ajahn, or that... Uh, um, Venerable An- Analio, this German monk, makes about how the the real brilliance of these eight, 16 steps is that the Buddha is bringing together joy and the work of meditation, the practice of meditation, right from the beginning all the way through. And the only thing that changes is the joy gets becomes more and more refined from the joy of seclusion to the second set of four is really the joy of dispassion. I mean, we're really exploring the joy of rapture, the happiness of rapture, the happiness of ease, the happiness of the mind, the mental activity beginning to quiet down. But all of that, it's a category of happiness we call dispassion. Like a mind that has a sort of a more resonant wisdom. It's just not confused by mental activity. I mean, we all know how it is when whatever thought comes into the mind, we have to chase it. It's such a 
you know, it's such an, a, a kind of imprisonment to always take the bait, whatever the mind says. And there's so much space, so much freedom, like the mind can do whatever it wants. The thinking mind, the habit-based mind can do whatever it wants. And we're just not that concerned about it. I love the image. I think it was, I heard it from Joseph Goldstein, you know, as if someone left a radio on. Maybe it's shock radio, or maybe it's this kind of radio, or that kind of radio. You know, something that is really irritating, but it's just a radio. We don't have to have a problem with it. It's like this with noise and meditation. You know, when there's irritating noise, people come into the hall late, or you know, somebody's phone goes off, or whatever it might be, someone has the sniffles and I meditate. And sometimes, you know, it's just not okay. And we can get really, really angry. I mean, just like powerful rage. I really want to hit that person. And other times it's not a problem at all. And that's the happiness of dispassion when there's stuff moving, mental activity, perceptions, feelings, mental constructions. But it's really okay. The mind, the wisdom in the mind, it has a lot of understanding or space about that mental activity. It's just mental activity. I don't have to take the bait. It's such a relief that I don't have to take the bait. Just because that memory has popped into the mind, that my mind, I don't have to think about it. Just because that, oh, you know, experience from today popped into my mind doesn't mean I have to pick it up. That what we choose to think about is uh, a, an act of wisdom. We don't have to, we can just let thoughts come and go. That's, that's a powerful realization. And that's what dispassion is, knowing, the mind knowing. See, when we think our thoughts are me, we feel responsible to address every single thought, every single mental image that shows up, because that's me thinking to me or talking to me or whatever it might be. But when we understand that the thoughts, the mental activity is just a natural process, impersonal process, then there's some dispassion. We can get involved with the thoughts that seem skillful, helpful to get involved with, and we can just let the other thoughts, feelings, whatever be. Let them come, let them go. And then that quiets down. So, so much of the mental activity is because the mind is reacting to mental activity. But when mental activity is allowed to come and go without the mind reacting to it, it's a lot quieter pretty quickly. Because the, per, precisely because the mind is independent, doesn't have some funny view that there shouldn't be any thoughts. It doesn't have an agenda about thoughts. So the quieting of the mind doesn't come because of a, an aversive relationship to thought or a controlling relationship to thought. That is as it turns out, hopefully you've seen this, is a cause for more mental proliferation, more mental activity. 
not wanting to think guarantees more thought. But being more dispassionate about mental activity quiets everything down. And this really sets up the whole next level of happiness because as the mind becomes more quiet, then the third set of instructions that will begin in the weeks ahead will really, now the mind or the wisdom can understand what we could call the space of the mind instead of the activity of the mind. So the second four instructions are really looking more at the activity of the mind, the movement of joy, the movement of ease, the movement of feeling, the movement of perception and formations, mental constructions, and the quieting of all that mental movement, mental activity, cognitive activity. And as it's more quiet, then the space of awareness, the space of the mind is just more apparent. So now for the third set of four instructions, now what the mind is noticing is more about what's not there. Like when we're noticing the space of the mind, we're noticing the sort of relative absence of mental activity, but there's still this, right? This present moment, this space of mind, this awareness, this knowing. There's still something in that relative quiet space. So it doesn't matter what you call it. We can call it space of the mind or the space of knowing, awareness. And we appreciate it. We gladden it. You know, it's like, wow, stillness. That emptiness of mental activity, that emptiness of neurotic mental activity, it's quiet. It's peaceful, it's still, it's empty of problems. You know, relatively speaking, it's empty of problems. So there... The, the word that Venerable Analio uses is the happiness of cessation. The cessation of selfing, self-centered drama, you know, relatively speaking at least, the relative absence. So even though we may not be able to follow the map to the nth degree, we know this space of stillness, relative stillness, relative absence of neurotic activity, right? Just like we know the space of a mind totally full of neurotic mental activity. Right? And the same thing with the happiness of dispassion. We know when we're very much addicted and reactive to every thought that comes, every mental image, every feeling that goes comes with a mental thought or mental image, perception. We know when there's a lot of reactivity to thought, where one thought leads to the next. And there's like no space. It's just like... That's like being imprisoned by our thoughts where, you know, we just have to follow. And even if the voice comes in, I'll stop, you're just driving yourself crazy. But then we do the same thing with that thought. Yeah, you're always driving yourself crazy. What's wrong with you? You know, no, stop it. It, But it doesn't matter what thought, it, it always leads to the next thought. Because the strong conviction when there's not dispassion is thinking leads somewhere, right? That's the opposite of dispassion is 
the wrong view that we can think our way to peace or think our way to release or think our way to some kind of resolution of pain, of suffering. But it never works. That's not where thinking leads. Right thinking, skillful thinking, leads, uh, leads the mind to a jumping off point into awareness. And wrong thinking is what we call samsara. Wrong thinking leads to thinking. Right? And, that, and just to make it simple, those are the two kinds of thinking or mental activity. Mental activity that leads to more mental activity and mental activity that leads to the quieting of mental activity. So that's so we can learn about these first three happinesses. This is really our work. And you can talk about this in your small groups tonight. Your own experience about the happiness of seclusion. Your own experience about the happiness of dispassion. And you don't have to go to the third, but you know, the happiness of cessation. A mind that's relatively empty of selfing, of the self-frame. Right, And it's just gross, less gross, more refined, most refined quality experience of happiness or release or peace. Right, That's the whole path. Seclusion has the flavor of peace. The mind is not obsessed, not infatuated with sense experience. If my mind's infatuated with sense experience, I'm not going to be interested enough in breathing in or breathing out or the whole body as I breathe in the whole body because I'm interested in thinking about other sense experiences like going to bed tonight or eating more food or reading the news or you know, wondering what the cat's doing. So that diversity of sense experience, our mind is almost always dealing with, infatuated with, speculating about. But when we're giving ourselves completely to the breath, to the whole body, to the sense of calm, we've got to let all that go. And it, it turns out to be a relief not to have to be attentive to the diversity of sense experiences in, and our thoughts about sense experiences. And we have more of this unification with what's here and now. Breathing in is here and now, whole body's here and now. So the only sense experience I need to be interested in is here and now. I don't have to be speculating about other sense experience. And that's a relief. See, already that has the flavor of peace. And then the second is just the same, but on the level of mental activity instead of sights and sounds and touches smells and tastes. Like I don't have to be concerned with the diversity of thought. Let them come, let them go. Instead, I'm going to sort of trust the ease, the joy, and the inner joy and the inner ease of collectedness. Right? And that gives us gives the mind some immunity to being pushed around by its thoughts, being uh, seduced by thoughts. There needs to be a counterweight 
to the bait, the excitement, the seductiveness of thought. And that's what the joy and the ease provides. That stability, the ease of seclusion allows the mind to realize the happiness of dispassion. Oh, I feel so nice not to be pushed around by thought, just to let it come and go. Okay? And then, of course, talking in your small groups about what gets in the way. What is the challenge that gets in the way of seclusion? What's the cha- what are the challenges that get in the way of the happiness, of dispassion, of not feeling tied or pushed around by thought? What is it about the mind's relationship to thought that causes it to keep pick, you know, taking the bait, running with it, reacting to it, feeling like thought goes somewhere? That's the most, that's really the seductive thing. So you can talk about how compelling, how thought seems to go somewhere, lead somewhere, that we can solve the real problem by thinking it through. I mean, there is some value to thinking, clearly, like seeing the li- thinking about the limitations of thought, right? can be quite useful. So what do you think? Maybe 75 people. So let's count off by 25, I guess. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.